Well, if you have a, a Bible, I would uh, ask you to turn to First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. If you're going to uh, use a pew Bible, or if you'd like to, uh, for First Thessalonians chapter four, our uh, passage this morning or this evening, I should say, will begin on page one thousand two hundred fifty-seven. 1,257, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As you see in your bulletin, this is uh, part 4 of... Uh, sermons on this fourth chapter, on the first 12 verses of this chapter. And uh, we are going to, in particular tonight, just be looking at verses uh, 11 and 12. But I am going to read, again, for context, and it's so short anyway, uh, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4 of First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, let us hear now God's word. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And then now really our focal verses for tonight, starting in verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be, and be dependent on no one. As far as the reading of God's holy word, let's go to him in prayer and ask him to bless this time. Dear Father, we do thank you for this gift of your word, uh, which is infallible and perfect, Lord. It is the word of God, uh, which you cause by your grace to work in us who believe. Lord, I do pray that you would help me to teach just what your word teaches, that you would bless this brief time together and prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive your word and receive uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, as Pastor Matt was praying in the pastoral uh, prayer earlier, and he was praying about our government officials and particularly I thought as he got to our federal officials, and uh, oftentimes 
some of us are asked, whether it's myself at the Christian school or with other uh, pastors or just people who are curious what sort of our, uh, what we think is going to happen in the United States over, say, the next generation or the next 50 years or so. And we oftentimes uh, have to be honest and just say, we don't really know. Uh, we're not certain. We, we're not prophets. And uh, God hasn't really told us uh, exactly what's going to happen exactly with our own nation. Um, however, tonight in our passage, we will come to something that is true for us no matter what happens. Uh, no matter what happens, there's something that we are to be about, and that is that we are to work hard. Uh, every Christian, every person, but every Christian is to be somebody who is working hard. You know, it's kind of ironic in a sense that I uh, come to this passage on the first Sunday right after I've finished with the school year and thinking about that all that work is over. And now we're coming to a passage about working hard and seeing that we're not being idle and that we're working hard. And I'm thinking about sleeping in but uh, and just praising God that the work for this year at the school, at least, is uh, over. But um, again, working hard. Um, I've brought this up before, but one of my favorite quotes uh, from Christian history, or just one of my favorite people in Christian history, is William Carey, uh, the great Baptist missionary from England who went to India. And uh, if you know anything about his life, you know, first of all, that he was uh, told not to go by the people in his church, the, the Baptist Association uh, at that time had a very wrong view of uh, missions, and uh, William Carey was a Baptist, but he was also a Calvinist, and he knew that God was sovereign, but he also knew that God uses means, and uh, there was nobody in India at that time who was uh, taking the gospel to them, so he went, and uh, when people had talked to him back from England about how he was doing and if you know, his wife had sort of a nervous breakdown when they got to India, and he saw very, very little fruit. In fact, he saw a little fruit during his lifetime, um, but especially early on, he saw very little fruit. But he realized that he was doing God's will, and he was working hard, and his famous quote was that he had learned how to plod. And I, for a long time, have thought that is a perfect description of the Christian life, is plodding along. Uh, plodding along like a, some sort of draft horse or animal that you put your head down, you put your shoulder into the plow, you push ahead, and you, you press forward. Uh, this is what you do. And in fact, when we were just in Costa Rica, I've been thinking of how trying to find a, some sort of picture or something to put up in my office or in my room at DCS uh, to show this, you know, some animal working hard and just have that as sort of a, a reminder of what to be about. And when we're in Costa Rica, uh, I remember hearing on the bus, uh, we were heading to an area that, uh, where they make ox carts. And uh, they don't really use ox carts anymore. For They have trains and other things now, and trucks, of course. But Costa Rica, I didn't know this before going there, but their national emblem is an ox cart, an ox pulling an ox cart. And uh, historically... Uh, that's what they did. They have all this produce and uh, all these things in the middle of the country, and they have both the Pacific coast and the, the Atlantic coast or the Caribbean right there on the, the east side. The country is right in between the two. And, uh, but to go to the coast took a long time, and they'd have oxen that would take 
the goods from kind of the, the mountainous central area of the country and take it over to the coast. And the, the ox uh, became really a symbol of hard work uh, for the, the Costa Ricans, and that remains their symbol to this day. So, of course, uh, thankfully, uh, I found exactly what I was looking for, and I, I have to put it, I haven't done it yet, it's at home, but uh, it shows these oxen, uh, it's a wooden sculpture sort of thing of oxen pulling a, a ox cart, and uh, I thought that was uh, a good rem- reminder to me, but I really think it's a good reminder to all of us uh, what we're to be about in our lives, no matter who you are. Uh, no matter if you're a male or female, a, a father or a mother or a single person, um, Christians are to be about working hard. And uh, that's one of the things, uh, primary things that Paul talks about here in First Thessalonians chapter 4 in our verses this evening. Now again, just to remind us, uh, the Thessalonians were primarily Gentiles, uh, and these Gentiles uh, were primarily pagans, again, before Paul got there. Uh, these were not people who were steeped in the Old Testament background, like other places where Paul would go, where they'd have be disputing with one another about uh, things in the law, and they would know it and so forth. He was going to rank pagans. And again, next week, when Pastor Matt gets there, we're going to get... Uh, this is going to be a big reason why, when they're talking about things like the return of Christ and other things, that there are some people who think that maybe Jesus has already returned, and they're not aware of it. They have very wrong views about things that we would consider to be very basic teachings in the Christian faith. Again, these are people who had, uh, did not have a background in Judaism. Also, Paul was only in Thessalonica for a, a short period of time. Uh, probably about three weeks. He says in Acts that he was there for three Sabbaths. So it's possible that he was there for four weeks, but that would be about the extent of the time that Paul was there before he was run out of the city. So again, he's in the context of talking to people who do not have familiarity really with with God. Uh, They had familiarity with, again, Zeus and and the Greek gods and so forth and uh, different things, but not with really the God of the Jews, the, the God of the Bible. So Paul is teaching them the ABCs, and and they really have to be taught about things like the resurrection from the dead and so forth, because they did not have this background. They also, however, did not have a background in the ethics, or what is expected of a follower of Christ. Uh, Again, they came from pagan backgrounds, and basically in most pagan backgrounds, you go and you seek to appease the God that you serve or that you worship by going and giving some sort of sacrifice or offering to the God and hoping that they bless you and, and just going back and doing whatever. And, and Paul, again, speaking to these pagan, uh, well, now no longer pagan, but these uh, Gentile Thessalonian believers, uh, needs to teach them some things that seem pretty obvious to most of us having grown up in at least a Christian context in the United States. We saw last week, or we heard last week, as Pastor Matt was preaching, that he needed to teach on sexual purity. Uh, that would be completely foreign, at least the, the God's view of it in, in uh, their context. For a man to go and have uh, a wife, but for a man to go and have a concubine or two or three or whatever, that was completely normal. That was, there was nothing wrong with that whatsoever for, 
for Paul's audience of Thessalonians, and Paul's having to let them know, uh, you know, running around and gratifying yourself in whichever way seems right to you, that, that is not how we live. That is not what God has called us to. And again, that's why back in what uh, Matt read last week in verse 5, when he says that they're not to handle themselves or their wives or their body in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's talking about before. And what's interesting, again, is that ethnically, Paul is writing to Gentiles. He's writing, these aren't Jews for the most part that Paul's writing to. And he tells them again, this passage that Matt went over last week, uh, that they were not to act like the Gentiles. Uh, because, of course, they had been called out of this life to God. And again, he's having to instruct them. Again, these are baby Christians who are needing to be instructed in basic things. Well, another thing that the, form, that the Thessalonians had a problem with or had an issue with that Paul needs to talk to them and address them about is the importance of work, the importance of work in your life, the importance of work. Uh, I must state right at the outset, um, work is not a result of the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve were not just sitting in the garden doing nothing prior to the fall. God gave them uh, tasks to do. Adam was to watch and keep the garden, and Eve was to support him uh, in these endeavors. They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. God gave them tasks to do. And again, a big part, just to show my hand ahead, ahead of time, big part of this is that the Christian life is not one of just sitting back and kind of just doing whatever. God has given us things to do as believers. And again, to show my hand before I get there at the end, I would say for the church, uh, what we are to do can be summed up, I think, best in the Bible in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, the Great Commission. Uh, but we're going to get to, in this chapter, by the end at least, uh, the fact that, of course, uh, not all of us are called to go be overseas missionaries. Um, when we read the book of Acts, we don't see everybody immediately going out and being an overseas missionary. Uh, we say actually very few, but... And that is true. Not everybody's called to do that part. But everybody, if you're a Christian, is called to be part of this work in one way or another. So again, work is not a result of the fall. Frustration. Frustration in work is a result of the fall, but work itself is not. If you've ever had a job uh, that you enjoy, uh, it is great to wake up and be excited about going to work, going to some sort of project or something that you're excited about doing. Of course, we live this side of the fall, and we have a lot of frustration and difficulties with nature itself, whether that be for our farmers and other things, uh, or with other people, or with ourselves. Uh, but again, work is not a result of the fall. Work existed before the fall. So again, we're going to be looking at how we are to live our lives, love our brothers and sisters uh, before Christ returns. Last week was about being pure, sexually pure, and this week we're going to look at how you mind your own affairs and live your, your daily life, how Christians are to live their lives. So all, I have three very short points, and all of them fit under one sort of heading. So I don't know how, if this is a one-point sermon with three sub-points or what, but this whole section here in verse 11 
is that we are to be ambitious. We, it is not wrong to have a godly ambition. That's what I have written here, godly ambition. Uh, but we are to have goals. We are to aspire to things. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm actually all for things like New Year's resolutions. Now, of course, as I always like to do, I like to say something and then give the big however after that. Uh, however, uh, our ambitions need to be sanctified. Uh, they need to be for God's glory. But again, there is nothing wrong at all if you are a student and your goal is to make the best grades that you can make. It's like, how unchristian of you. No, go and do the best you can. But if not making an A, if going and helping your family because somebody got sick means you're not going to make an A, well, you kill that ambition. You go and you help your family. There are other things that must be put before that. But having ambitions, having goals in life, seeking to be the best whatever, the best farmer, the best teacher, the best doctor you can be, that's actually not only not a worldly thing, that's a, a godly thing to want to use what God has given you uh, to work as hard as you can. Uh, you know, I think there was a, a book years ago, uh, well, it really wasn't that long ago in the long scheme of things, uh, but it, was, it came from a very flawed interpretation of creation. And the interpretation was that man was created outside of the garden and then placed in the garden, so man is wild at heart, which is the title of the book. And that's why man, or men, I should say, uh, men have ambition and want to do these things because they're wild, and we're wild, and so forth. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible about God creating Adam outside of the garden and then going and placing him so he really belongs outside of the garden and so forth. The garden is where God's presence is. That is actually where we belong. However, I think why this book was so popular amongst men in particular, but women as well, is because of this very commonly uh, held belief, but wrongly held belief, that God calls us, that any sort of ambition or striving in our life is wrong. That any sort of wanting to work hard for Christ or do anything is, is unchristian in a sense. And uh, in that sense, uh, I understand why, it's pop why it had such popularity, because God does call us uh, to work hard and to strive for him. So anyway, again, uh, getting back to Thessalonica, um, Paul is going to get into this in the second letter to Thessalonica, but the problem that they had in Thessalonica was a cultural problem. Uh, they believed that working with your hands uh, was a demeaning uh, sort of task, and if you were really important, this was very common in the Greek world, if you were really a big shot, people knew it because you didn't need to work. Uh, we now have a lot of creators, or no, that's not what they're called, creators or influencers uh, on social media, on YouTube, and so forth, and there's an app or a service that's called Patreon. It has to do with people being patrons and giving their, their patronage to people so they can spend their full time, you know, playing video games and commentating on it. All these people like them, so they'll, they'll you know, they get, they get to see extra videos during the uh, week that other people don't get, get by, by being a patron of this person. That was huge in the Greek and Mediterranean world, where you'd have a lot of people who were being supported by people around them, and it really allowed them 
uh, not to work and to be idle. And we'll see eventually when we get to 2 Thessalonians, y'all probably know, but Paul is very much against this. Uh, People are not working anymore. They're being supported. And Paul gives a swift rebuke that they are to stop doing this and, in fact, stop feeding them, uh, not to necessarily cause these people to starve and die, uh, but they're going to get hungry. And if they get hungry enough after a while, they're going to get a job and they're going to start to work again. But again, this is the big problem going on in Thessalonica. As we also know, uh, we're going to see, I'm going to read from 2 Thessalonians in a minute. Uh, It is true, not all the time, but quite often, uh, the old kind of Puritan proverb that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Uh, Well, this is where it comes from in 2 Thessalonians, that when somebody is not doing what God has called them to, they, they tend to get in trouble. And uh, so before we even get into this text, uh, if you do have a Bible open, I would uh, ask you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. You're going to turn like one or two pages over. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and again, 2 Thessalonians is written probably within a year, probably at the latest, of 1 Thessalonians. And I think this kind of gives away what Paul is talking about here. It's a really good way to understand what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians about minding your business working hard, working with your hands, living quietly. If you want to know what he's talking about, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 12, and you're going to see what is still going on there that Paul has to address. So again, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Again, that's a Paul's using a pun here because walking, obviously, idle, you're sitting still, right? Your car isn't idle, you're not moving. Walking, they're not doing anything. But you, that you, I'm sorry, you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work and to earn their own living. So notice in this passage from 2 Thessalonians, several of the things that go back to 1 Thessalonians. And verse 6, he first brings up walking in idleness. That people walking, of course, a great Christian, uh, a great biblical way of referring to somebody's life, their manner of life, their walk. But he says they're walking in idleness. They're not doing anything. Again, the Christian life is to be one of moving forward. Uh, You sometimes hear it said that there's no such thing as sitting still, and that if you're not moving forward, you're actually moving backward. And there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, The Bible expects believers to be advancing in holiness, not just sort of, you know, sitting here, not doing anything. That's where I'm If we're sitting here, we're probably moving backwards. But he first talks about walking in idleness. As we get to the end of verse 7, he talks about that, his example, that he, 
and Silas and Timothy, they weren't idle when they were with them. As you might remember in the, the Thessalonian letters, Paul uses imitation a lot, that they imitate the Lord and to imitate himself. And one of the ways they imitate him is the way that he worked. He worked hard so that he wouldn't have to be a burden to him. He wouldn't have to, to have them feed him and give him money. And he'll even stress, I had the right to do it, but I didn't do it to give you an example. Again, these are pagans who were not used to the, the Christian sort of background, the biblical background of working hard and supporting yourself. Verse 8, he gets to that, nor, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But again, his example, the end of verse 8, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, if you drop down to verse 11, uh, getting to the problem going on in the church, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So they're idle, but not only are they idle, probably due to the fact that they're idle, they are now kind of stirring up division, stirring up problems in the church. Again, when you read First and Second Thessalonians, it's amazing. Paul has almost entirely good things to say about the church. They have some bad theology in some areas. Uh, they're afraid about the people who have died and the resurrection and Christ's return. Uh, but the one area he really wants to talk to him about, he did talk about sexual immorality, but then he really gets to people being idle, not working. And again, that's what he talks about here. So three very quick points under our ambition, what we are to do. They come straight from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, I just took it straight out of the ESV. The first one is live quietly. We're going to look at it should be our ambition, the ambition of a Christian to live quietly. Second, we should look at it should be the ambition of a Christian to mind your own affairs. Uh, you'll see lots of sermons on this text that are titled, Mind Your Business. Uh, but mind your own affairs. I would rather just take it straight from here because I'm not uh, that creative or anything. Mind your own affairs. And then finally, work with your hands. Uh, but we're going to see what that means. Maybe Paul wants us all to switch jobs, those of us who do not work with our hands. That's not what he means, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So the first one is live quietly. As opposed to being idle, how should we live? Well, we should live quietly, Paul says here. You might wonder what that means, and I've heard some people try to make the point that what Paul is saying here is that we should live quiet lives of contemplation, uh, perhaps what it's talking about is that the Christian, uh, there might be, uh, the, the Christian is one who uh, spends much time uh, in silence and in meditation on God's word. That is completely biblical. Uh, we do, especially in today's world, need to carve out more time where we cut off all our electronics, especially our phones, and have times of quiet and solitude with the Lord, where we meditate upon his word. Um, however, I'm, I do not think that is what Paul is talking about here uh, when he says to live quietly. Uh, quiet here in verse 11 of Second Thessalon uh, 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 4, when he says to live quietly, I, it can be translated as peacefully or still, and it comes from the Hebrew word, which you see in I-95 on one of the billboards, shalom, uh, the one for uh, 
south of the border, one of the 500 billboards that you have coming from Georgia through Virginia or whatever, telling you how far you are away from it. But shalom, uh, stillness, peace. Uh, it's the idea of, of the sea uh, being kind of glassy, that there's no, you know, in the Bible you see the raging waves and the foam of the sea. For the Hebrew, that's, that's the worst thing you can have. Uh, your life is chaotic. And shalom is the idea of peace, stillness, that there's everything in your life, as far as it depends on you, is still, that you have this peace. And that is what he is exhorting them to have, is this life of stillness and peace, as far as we know from the Bible, as far as it depends on you, uh, you are to be, and I am to be, to seek to be at peace with all people, at peace with God whether that's coming to God for the first time ever, at peace with God in our own lives when we sin, when there, we know there's something in our lives we need to go to God about and, and work out with Him. And by the grace of God, that gets stirred up in us that we have anxiety and stress over and we go to God. And then we seek to have peace with one another. And unfortunately, and of course, there are some people who don't want to have peace in our lives, at times in our lives. And, uh, but as far as it can with us, we can't change people. But by the grace of God, we can be at peace. And this is what he's saying when he's saying to live quietly, is to be at peace, to have shalom in your own life. Uh, I think of, uh, sometimes I like to watch um, this place in Florida called the Hallover, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Hallover Inlet. So one of these... Uh, inlets from the ocean where uh, this, uh, where there's this, uh, all these boats go in and out, and the big, huge boats go in there, and it's a very dangerous inlet. The, the waters, for some reason, where they're there, uh, if you don't hit it just right, I mean, you get boats that are sinking, and you get these rich people on these humongous yachts going out there. I've seen Michael Jordan's boat, I mean, on video, uh, but going out there and, and uh, you know, if you've got a 92-foot yacht like he does and all that, they can pretty much just go out there and they're fine. But the smaller boats uh, go out there and so forth. And, and a whole, this is down in South Florida. So there's a whole lot of people, as you can probably imagine, who are going out there to show off their boat. And it's real loud and the flashier boats come and all the, you know, all this stuff going on. And it's real wild and people come to watch, to watch how treacherous it is for the boats to get out to sea. Uh, but also to see all the amazing boats, like people like Michael Jordan, again, other famous rich people in South Florida who have their, their boats and have them docked there. And I think it's in Naples or somewhere. Like, uh, it might be West Palm Beach. It's somewhere down there where the rich people live. I don't know. But anyway, um, I think of, of that as the opposite, as they're loud and kicking up all these waves. And I, I think about the beauty of something like a sailboat, and for me, the, the real beauty of a sailboat, you probably know if you've ever seen a sailboat or been on one, is that they're silent. Uh, you put the sails up, and they can just cruise along and go along silently. You know, I, I would just be I had a sailboat once upon a time, and I would have taken a powerboat because it's a lot easier than a sailboat. It's a lot more work. But it is pretty nice when you're out there in the ocean, and you're just silently cruising through. And I think... Uh, in a kind of strange illustration that Christians should seek to be the sailboat going through Hallover Inlet and not the loud, boisterous uh, yacht that is out there for everybody to see 
and that's kicking up all the dirt and waves and everything else. So we are to live quiet or peaceful or still lives. Secondly, we're to mind our own affairs or our own uh, business. Well, again, as a teacher, uh, I tell people oftentimes that the, the students that I kind of keep my eye on and, and watch out for are not, they're not at all the students who like to talk, and, uh, but are, are, uh, you can point them in the right direction. They just have a, a little more energy or excitable. Um, those are not the students that I, I really keep an eye on. The ones that I keep an eye on are the ones who stir up controversy, the instigator, the one who behind the scenes, my wife will call them the sneaky ones, but the ones who behind the scenes are stirring up uh, drama. And, uh, but the ones who, are, who really are, they're stirring up drama, they're instigating things. And uh, that's really what Paul is talking about here uh, in this second point of minding your own affairs. Is He's talking the opposite of that, of not being somebody who's going and getting in other people's business and really stirring these things up. Uh, like a fire where the embers are starting to go out and they, they get it going again. They, that seems to be their goal in life is to get... Uh, fires going around this. And, uh, you know, we are called to be uh, people who are active uh, in whatever area of life you have. If you are a stay-at-home mom, you are very active in doing things. This is not only talking about people who have a a job in manual labor. And God has called us uh, to work, to be active. And again, I think this is where some of the truth comes out about idle hands uh, being the devil's workshop or, or leading to so many problems. Um, I, I think about this actually with, uh, with dogs. Uh, again, I love animals, so I have a lot of animal illustrations. But I used to work with dogs uh, many years ago when I first moved to Arizona, actually. And uh, I would work with, with police dogs and highway patrol, and I would be the guy with the suit and, or the sleeve that they bite and so forth. And uh, we had German Shepherds, and we also had these dogs called Belgian Malinois, if you've ever heard of them. And it was shocking to me when, uh, after Osama bin Laden was killed, and it was kind of put on the news that the dog that was with the, the military guys who went and got him was a Belgian Malinois, that this breed became popular amongst uh, just normal, everyday folks. One uh, a new dog, and they're like, let's get that dog, you know, you see what they do, and I remember just thinking, you, are, you have no idea what you are getting yourself into. I mean, these are dogs literally in their crate that will sit there spinning the entire day long because they have so much energy. And if you get a dog like that, um, you know, if you're a police officer or something, that's, it's great. It's a great dog that you can get. But, you know, it, it always it never ceases to amaze me, I should say, when people will d- buy a dog like that or they'll go and buy you know, y'all know like a, a Labrador Retriever that's an actual bird dog, a working dog. And if you see that dog versus just your pet lab, it's a completely different animal. Uh, the working dog is ready to go all the time. It's a horrible pet. It's a great dog if you're a hunter, but as a pet, it's horrible. And then I, I never get surprised when people in their, you know, they leave that kind of dog at home in their house and they come home, their house is torn up or they leave that house in their backyard, and they come back, and there are craters all over the place. They're wondering, what's going on with this dog? Well, this is a working dog. It's bred, literally, just to do that kind of thing, not to come and just be in your house. You go buy a pet dog 
for that, not one of these. Well, in the same way, God created us to work. And when we just sit there and don't have something, an outlet for our energy, we're going to find a negative, usually a negative outlet for that. And here we see that with busybodies, people who are getting into people's business. And Paul is letting them know this is not good. Um, you know, God could give us everything we need, but we are still without us working, but we are still called to go and work. So again, uh, we are to mind our own affairs, and when we do, that will keep us from having time to go get in everybody else's affairs. Um, so we're to mind our own business. And then last thing, very briefly, we're to work with our hands. Now, as I said at the beginning, does this mean that those of us like myself, uh, who am a teacher and uh, assistant pastor, am I to just drop this job immediately because I'm not really working with my hands and go become a man of the soil, go work with Mr. K and whoever at the farm because God says we're to work with our hands? Um, probably not surprisingly, the answer is no, that is not, <laughs> it's my written note. Uh, probably not surprisingly, that is not what Paul is saying here. Uh, again, this comes from the, the background in Thessalonica. They, they considered manual labor to be demeaning, uh, to be something they wouldn't do. And if you remember, Paul was a tent maker. Uh, Paul worked with his hands. He actually constructed things. And if you remember in, in the Corinthian letters, uh, that was one of the ways they would mock Paul as not being a real teacher, is that he had to work, where Paul would say, that actually is a sign of my genuineness. Uh, but the idea here of working with your hands uh, is these people saw certain kinds of work as beneath them, as something that they shouldn't be doing. And Paul's letting them know, no, absolutely not. Uh, you are to be about whatever God has called you to do, whether, again, that is being a, a literal uh, a person who works with your hands, that's a, you're a, a farmer, or you are a construction worker, or a mechanic, or a stay-at-home mom, or a teacher, or a nurse, or whatever you are, you're to do it with all your might. We have marching orders from God. The church does. And that, again, I said at the beginning, I think can best be summed up as the Great Commission, that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, and the church has been given the mission of, therefore, with Christ, with all authority, sending us, the church, out to go and make disciples, to go and make disciples, spreading the word. Now, when we look at that, uh, I tell my students this in the 12th grade class, it's and sometimes it's taught this way. Every single one of you, you need to look deep in your heart about being an overseas missionary. And perhaps people do. I don't want to always jump by that. But as we read in the Bible, not everybody is called to be an overseas missionary or full-time Christian worker. In fact, that's the minority of people who are called to go and do that. However, that does not let everybody who's not called to that uh, off the hook that they're not part of this great commission. Um, and again, this, I probably used this illustration up here before. I've used it with the kids a bunch of times, but uh, uh, we just heard somebody talk about it earlier. May have been your brother, actually. I'm not sure, but imagine there's a well that needs to be cleaned, or imagine that there's baby Jessica uh, down in the well back in the 80s, whenever that was, and she needs to be rescued, um, and you've got to let one guy down. I realized with baby Jessica, they went on the side, but somebody's got to go down the well, 
but you've got to have people who are going to hold the rope for the person going down the well to clean the well or whatever, or get baby Jessica, whichever one you want. The people holding the rope, they're holding it all day and working on it. Well, you've got other people and they're not called to just go inside and watch TV. I think they need to make sure those people are okay. You're bringing them water. You're bringing them food. You're doing whatever so they're okay. All these things are necessary. And at the end of the day, you say this, they, they saved baby Jessica or they cleaned the well. That's what we're called to in the Great Commission. We're called as a church. Again, the Great Commission is not given just to one individual. That's a wrong interpretation of it. Jesus and you together, and he's just talking to you. He's talking to a church, and he's saying to the church, go and make disciples. Some of the people from the church, from local churches, will go out as overseas missionaries. But the people who are not called to go be overseas missionaries, they still support that work in some way. If you're at home as a mom, is to raise your children the fear and admonition of the Lord. is to respect and obey your husband. If you're going out to work every day, is to be the best employee that you can be, even if you don't like your job. Because ultimately, if you realize God's sovereignty, God ultimately is your boss. I don't care what your job is. And so when we go to work and we half-heartedly do whatever and we grumble and we complain, it's ultimately God that we're grumbling and complaining about. So we are to be people who work with our hands. And again, when you think of that, work heartily, work wholeheartedly, not necessarily just the people of the soil or the salt of the earth and the rest of us are just uh, using them or whatever else. It means to work heartily. So again, we do this uh, for the peace and purity of the church so that we're not a bother to the rest of our brothers and sisters. Uh, And we do it for a witness to outsiders. If you look at the last verse there, He says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Um, The church, again, the community of believers together, and the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, that's the bringing into churches part. But the church should not look like the world. Uh, We should look different. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, we are no better than those who are out on the street or anything. But our community should look different. We should all be working hard, living peacefully, quietly uh, by God's grace, and in doing so, staying out of uh, people's business and stirring up gossip and so forth. The church should look different, and by God's grace, uh, would our church uh, look different and continue to do so. Well, if the elders would come forward, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to prepare our hearts for uh, the Lord's Supper. So let us uh, pray. Our gracious Father and God, we do uh, pray to you, Lord. um, Lord, you did not put Adam and Eve in the garden for them just to do nothing. Uh, You put them in the garden to uh, keep it. Uh, You gave them the creation mandate to uh, fill, to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth, Lord. And we are to do the same now, and especially in, uh, Lord, both physically, but also uh, with propagating the gospel and making disciples of all the nations, Lord, and teaching them to be obedient and, Lord, bringing them into churches together. Uh, would you help us in our jobs? Father, would you help us, those of us who have jobs that we enjoy, to Uh, help shoulder the burden of those who are going through difficult times in their work and not just look down on them. It can be extremely difficult 
There can be seasons that are extremely difficult that you give us in our, our labors. Uh, and Lord, we know that is temporary, but would you help us to help one another? Father, would you continue to be with us, we pray. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.